Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and it's my great pleasure to be speaking with the robotics and AI community in Australia. I hope you're well wherever you are in the world today. In the coming weeks, I will be acknowledging the premier, principal and lead partners of the Women in AI 2023 Awards, which will be held on Friday, 16 June at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. These valued Women in AI Awards partners have been invited to nominate an up-and-coming inspirational young woman within their organisation, a rising star, to tell their story. Deakin University, a lead partner, have nominated Rokta Palakadavath, a second-year PhD student at the Applied Artificial Intelligence Institute at Deakin University in Melbourne. Ragdahl's research work is about creating AI systems that can perform out of distribution generalization. Ragdahl, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, it's a great pleasure. You grew up in Kerala, which is in South India. You have a background in computer science and engineering. How did you end up doing that? Okay, so I was uh, born and I spent around 10 years of my life in Kerala. And after that, my family moved to Muscat, Oman, uh, which is in the Middle East. And I have done all of my schooling since then uh, over there. Uh, I think I was introduced to computer science in class sixth, grade six. And it was this language called QBasic. And I really, it was like, I fell in love with it. It was, I, I loved it. And it was my favorite subject. And I think uh, around grade eight, I was kind of sure this is what I want to do. I want to be a computer science engineer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is something that I've thought about doing since I was in middle school. And I went on to uh, get a degree in engineering. Uh, I came back to India after my school and I went on to get a degree in engineering from there. And your interest in this, have you got parents that are in this background or how did that land? Not really. My dad uh, used to teach uh, English. He's professor in English, uh, was, I mean, now he's retired. And my mother, she used to teach mathematics. Uh, but neither of them really involve a lot in my academic uh, life. <laughs> They're more interested in my personal life. <laughs> <laughs> but they have always supported me greatly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've really supported me greatly. They've been yeah uh, there with me through all my uh, decisions. They stand close and they stand firm with me. Oh, that's excellent. You have done a master's in machine learning and currently you're a second year PhD student at the Applied Artificial Intelligence Institute. Tell us a little bit about your journey that led you there and about the institute. Uh, sure. So um, soon after my master's, I started working. Mm, it was like a research-based company and I was working there. And then my school friend contacted me. She told me that she had uh, sent a research proposal uh, to this institute in Australia and uh, they had gotten back to her and she was like collab like talking with them to see if there was. Uh, so she was interested in doing a PhD. And she's like, uh, she was like, uh, the director of the institute is one of the top 15 women in AI. 
and uh, so she told me that because she knows i work in ai and uh, uh, so it was really nice so i was like oh that's really awesome and then i kind of forgot about it and i continued working there for almost a year uh and then by then i was like okay i need to get like some more fundamental uh, understanding of how to do research and i thought i might go back and do a phd mm-hmm. uh, uh so uh, i thought of applying to universities and i uh, was asking my supervisor during my masters uh, for a recommendation letter uh so he was like uh, are you interested in like you know do you want to apply to this institute in australia are you interested in that and then uh, i was like okay i just went and looked up about the institute and i'm like oh this is the same institute my friend was talking about and i was like okay that seems really interesting and i uh, mailed one of the professors uh, uh, and applied to uh, see if there was any common ground between um, like any common ground between the institute and me and we could work so i set up an interview and so what i really when i went thought of doing a phd what i really wanted to have were like two things one was uh, freedom to work on something i'm really passionate about and another thing is to have a very supportive nurturing environment mm-hmm. and while talking to the uh, professor i realized that i can I really uh, i could i was able to uh, see that i could probably get both at this institute and uh, so Uh, he was really interested to see what i wanted to do and what my uh, research interests were and he was also very supportive uh, in terms that uh, like i felt that if i get stuck at some point during my phd which is inevitable yeah that they would be there to support me yeah so that's my uh, i was really hoping that i would get a call back and i did and uh, it's been really wonderful since then um, oh, fantastic congratulations sorry. yeah um and how did covid affect you were, were you able to come over immediately or were you yeah no so i got the offer sometime in november 2021 uh and uh i could not join uh, so my joining date was in december and i was i was able to only join uh, online mm-hmm. uh, so uh i worked online for like 5 to 6 months until uh, uh australia opened after the covid uh, pandemic and then i had to get my visa approved so i came here in april 2022 and end, end of april yeah and and are you enjoying australia do you like it here oh it's really amazing uh i did find some similarities between basket Uh, where i grew up and australia the people are really amazing they're very nice they're very friendly very helpful and i i really feel welcome here oh that's excellent and do you think this is something long term that you would consider would you consider making australia your home or is it too early to say <laughs> <laughs> oh i think it's still too early to say but it's really <laughs> i've just been here yeah not even a year it's still under a year i think it's something far I think you you could end up like me you could come here and that was 27 years ago and then you just don't leave again. Because <laughs> Australia it is a it is a very um, it's a great country is um fantastic people and and yeah I'm glad I'm glad you're enjoying it here that makes all the difference. 
Yeah, thank you. So your work is about creating AI systems that can perform out of distribution generalization. Tell us a little bit more in detail about this. Okay, maybe I can start with an example. Uh, so if we uh, think of uh, recognizing an image, uh, if you look at humans, uh, I think we think of uh, recognizing image or video uh, as like learning concepts. So if we know what is the concept of an animal, uh, we are able to understand. Uh, suppose I, like I used to drive car in India and then I can see a cow or a dog on the road. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to be driving in Australia, it's going to be a kangaroo or a wallaby. Uh, so imagine having an autonomous driving vehicle that was trained on a different set of rules. Uh, it is trained on images of, say, cows or dogs, for example. And then when suddenly it's exposed to something like a kangaroo, which it hasn't seen before, it's going to give some uh, unexpected behavior. And uh, it's because it's a critical application, uh, it's important that uh, we are able to build AI systems that are robust. And when it's it, and also it's not possible for us to go through all kinds of animals in the world. It's not a. It's probably possible, but still, uh, it's 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 a very exhausting task. Uh, so the idea is to have or develop AI systems uh, that are more robust, where expose like how can you train it to behave well when it's exposed to something it hasn't seen before. So that's called the out of distribution. And generalization is to generalize uh, it to new, to new environments. So how far advanced is this? If you consider that we've got autonomous vehicles, um, you know, such as Tesla, let's take them as an example, and um, the, the switch just hasn't been flicked for complete autonomy, and has this got something to do with it that there's still a variable that it's just too dangerous to do it? Uh, yeah, because I think I read a news recently where a man was arrested uh, because uh, he was sleeping in an autonomous vehicle. So he the drive the vehicle was driving itself, but he was sleeping, and the police arrested him because he was not allowed to sleep despite being in an autonomous vehicle. So that means we are not there yet where we can completely rely on AI taking over critical applications uh, without any uh, repercussions from that. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. And I think I read the same article there. And um, in previous months, you know, that, again, I'm just because it's Tesla that I, it's just been prominent in the news that um, identifying uh, objects that had, had made a mistake and there were accidents. And I think the liability of lives lost, I think this is also an important point in terms of insurance issues because who is actually ultimately then culpable? Is it the car that made the mistake or is it the driver or, you know, how do they differentiate that? Oh, yeah, that's that, that's a very interesting question uh, because, uh, uh, well, uh, I think it's still on the uh, driver of the car. I mean, there would be someone still sitting at the wheel. It's it's important that he's aware. Uh, so we cannot completely rely on suing the company for that. But yeah, I think both are responsible in yeah. some way. Yeah. 
Well, I think it hasn't been tested yet in a court of law. So it will be very interesting if we get to the fully autonomous stage and there's an accident, then who's going to be, you know, who's paying for all of this? Because, you know, ultimately someone needs to be held responsible. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it will be interesting to see that. Yeah. So, you know, when you talk about AI to people and, um, you know, like you're a second year PhD student, so you're completely immersed in this field. When you talk to people that know very little about AI and they ask you what you do, what's your typical response to them? And I imagine there's a lot of trust issues around AI as well. Yeah, I think uh, the trust issues, uh, like I can give you an example of this, uh, another AI tool, which was deployed in uh, the US. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was calculating the uh, per chance of uh, someone who's already in jail to recommit a crime. Uh, Based on that, they would give them parole and stuff. Uh, So this tool ended up predicting that uh, African-Americans had a higher chance of uh, recidivism. Uh, But in the end, that was not the case. Uh, It was just biased on the data that it received. So you can see the inherent bias in the society, uh, which means that uh, African-Americans were policed more mm-hmm. and due to that data the AI tool which is called Compass uh, took that into consideration and uh, predicted that they would be end- ending up with more crimes uh, so that is really about ha- having the bias within our society being taken into the AI uh, I think it's a very important aspect of trust or fairness uh, where we cannot have our the biases in our society be to be crept into the AI systems as well. Uh, we need to have some kind of methods to... Uh, so that's another area of research uh, that deals with that. And when I talk to people uh, about my research, it depends on uh, who I'm talking to. If it's another PhD student, uh, then they're able to understand it at a deeper or, you know, at a more mathematical or fundamental level. When it's some of my relatives, I give them this kangaroo cow example. So that's easy for them to understand. So it depends on who I'm talking to. And uh, it's really fun because we you get a lot of interesting output uh, inputs from them. They ask a lot of questions regarding my work and it helps me think better about it. It's always good to have an outsider opinion. You know what? That's so true because I think, um, you know, I was on a, a startup program and I was trained that if you can't if you can't describe to people what your company does in two minutes and what you do there, you don't understand it yourself. So I'm not, you know, like they, you need to be quite practiced and that's always a good test. How long do you need to tell someone what you do that, they fully understand and you've given them good examples that you go, okay, I fundamentally myself understand what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's very that's a very good way to put it. Uh, it's very important as well uh, because uh, it's not just about doing the work. It's all also about how to present it to other people so that it can be useful for everyone. Yeah. I think presentation is very important, yeah. So in the institute that you're working, like are you working on any way to improve biases that, that creep in in AI? You know, like we we hear about diversity, that we need diverse um, people in, in all fields of technology. And 
that's of course one of the reasons why it's so important. But what's being done to address this? Uh, so I think my uh, second project is going to be slightly around that. Uh, so uh, first problem is to detect the bias within the data. And based on the bias that's already there that we can detect, based on that, we can address the problem. Because sometimes uh, without knowing what kind of bias may be present in the data, it's not easy for us to design algorithms that can mitigate it. So the idea is to first uh, have a look at the data and able to extract what kind of biasness might be there or a future biasness that we can expect. Because uh, a tool that could have been designed right now might not do well in terms of biasness or fairness 10 or 15 years later, things change very quickly. Uh, so that is another aspect that we have to take in. Uh, yeah, so kind of that's what uh, my second project is going to be, I think, uh, during my PhD. So one of the stories I read about uh, biases creeping in was a company that uh, was a headhunter and they the algorithms worked such that the bias was against women just on the data that was inputted. So whether it was an intentional or not, that's just irrelevant. It was, it just happened like that. When, when Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So say this happens to an organization, how do they detect that's a bias? How does it, how are they alerted that there's a bias there? How did they get find out? Uh, I believe that the tool went on for a while so i think it took them a while to figure it out uh, i believe it was probably from some uh, some someone complaining that you know this uh, maybe after your uh, interview or something you're uh, you've realized that there's a pattern of people getting uh, selected from a particular gender or race or uh, age uh, there can be different kind of biases so uh, if you look at the pattern of hiring over a while you can see that it might if you take the statistics of the uh, data with respect to all these uh, special protected attributes which are race gender or age you'll be able to see that uh, the hiring might be higher uh, or lower uh, based on their uh, protected attribute which is the age gender or race yeah uh, yeah you can do, use that to detect but that is a very, very simple case where you know what the protected attribute is there can also be unconscious bias that we are not even aware about mm -hmm. and which is even harder to detect uh, because uh, we are aware that uh, people can get biased based on race uh, gender um, age etc but there are many other unconscious biases that might be harder to detect which will be, uh, I think there are a lot of research going on in that direction even now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think overall the, for me, and I'm not an expert in AI, but it's the ethics around it and who's governing everything, you know, like all this work is being done, but who's, who's governing all the work and checking it and going, we're on the right track here. Oh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, at least in terms of research, you see that most of them are peer-reviewed. So you get other experts looking at it uh, and deciding, okay, if this is a, like, at least the important thing is to follow products or research that has been published so that it has gone through some 
kind of a peer review setup. Uh, yeah, uh, and I think that's one way to look at it. Uh, another thing would be to look at uh, domain level experts. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at medical data, I think it's always important to have some consultations with doctors and a similar setup can be done with any kind of domain. So this is in the case of health domain when it comes to financial domain. Or, uh, it's always better to uh, have a human in the loop, mm -hmm. which is another direction in AI. Uh, so just not have an AI, have a human in the loop and how to basically you improve AI with the human inputs. Uh, so yeah, that is another way to think about improving fairness and ethics. Which brings us to the very interesting chat GPT, a chatbot developed by OpenAI, which was launched in November 22. Um, it's created quite a storm. I think there are an estimated 100 million users. Um, that was the latest figure in January. So what do you, have you played with this app and what do you think of it? <laughs> Oh, I love playing with it. So I can give you an example. A couple of days ago, uh, I thought, okay, instead of using Google search, I might play with GPT for a while. So I was asking it about some uh, research that have come up regarding my area. So I typed in the keywords, uh, give me some research papers around this area. And it's like crept up like with three, four uh, like research papers and they're like you know these have been research papers have a look through them and this is the current trend of research and I okay I thought okay now let me read up the paper so I copied the text pasted into search and tried to find the pdf and it doesn't exist oh it's given really? me fake data <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my goodness yeah uh, so I don't think it can be taken without a pinch of salt. It's very helpful in terms of uh, writing. I think it gives you really elaborate sentences, really uh, pretty and nice to read sentences. can be used as a very good uh, tool to help you write. And But I don't think it can be a replacement for critical thinking. Or, I think it's important for people to understand its limitations before they use it. It's definitely a step towards our progress with AI, but uh, I think it's important to uh, look at it with a pinch of salt. So did you report this back to them and say to them, you're talking nonsense? Or like, let's just for arguments like, say I'm taking their word as, because generally if I do a Google search and I see information, now I go, okay, this should be pretty accurate, which again, like I could be wrong about that. And, you know, well, I Googled it. Well, what does that mean? I, the, the information can be wrong. Did you, is there any way to contact them and say this is actually wrong? You should correct this? Uh, because it has been trained on data that's from prior. I yeah. don't think it's, it's, I know it's continuously learning, but it's not really doing it in a very good job. Uh, and another chat that I found was, uh, it got confused with the dates. So someone asked it, uh, when is, uh, uh, can you please show me uh, booking times for the movie Avatar? And Chad GPT said, it's not released yet. It will be only released in February 2023 and it's still December. And it was totally confused. Uh, so I think the public is becoming more aware of its problems as we go further. And uh, once people come to terms with it, I think uh, 
we can find better ways to improve it, right? Like you detect the, pro you've got this beta version and then you detect some issues with that tool and then you go back and fix it. So it's going to be an iterative process, I guess. Yeah. Well, look, if we, let's put it in perspective. It was only released in November. So for how long it's been out there, it's been phenomenal. I mean, a hundred million users and probably plus since January. Um, I, I don't think there's been an app that's had this uptake ever. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, another thing you might want to check out would be Mid Journey, uh, yeah. which is you give it some kind of abstract uh, idea of what an image should look like, like a river flowing in between a couple of rocks with a mountain in the backdrop, and it will generate you exactly that. So there are, a, it's just not, ChatGPT has become really, really mainstream, but there are a lot of apps, AI apps, which are really interesting. And I think people should uh, get into all that and see its problems and make it better by all these uh, iterative uh, improvements. I think it's uh, in terms of the education system, it's created quite a storm across the world, not just in Australia, because I think it's banned in West Australia, New South Wales, Queensland, uh, Tasmania and Victoria. I think South Australia, when I last checked, and again, this could have changed, is allowing it at schools, but it's not just in Australia. It is literally in, in, everywhere in the world. People have got opinions on whether it should be allowed or not. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I did see the news about the ban, and I think people are even using it in a PhD graduate level. It's just not the schools that we need to worry about. <laughs> uh, I think even at least in schools, teachers can be like, we are going to randomly check because uh, you know what? There are tools that can now detect text from ChatGPT. So they can at least be like, we are going to randomly test one of you today. <laughs> so, But uh, it's, I think uh, when there were like, you can think of this example, like uh, when there are robbers, we have to come up with better alarm systems or better systems to stop them. <laughs> so when there are new tools that are coming up that can help you, uh, I think it's important to come up with as many important defense mechanisms too. Uh, but it's interesting to see where it will take us uh, because... Uh, it's become really mainstream. A uh, couple of days ago, I visited a doctor and I told him I'm I'm working in AI and he was like, oh, tell me about ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, well, that's good at least that the doctor's aware of it. You know, we assume people are so focused on their worlds that they, you know, it's just too much out there, but that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very good. But I think we need to think of it as a tool and not let uh, it take over our uh, us well I, I can see you submitting a paper ragjan saying um authors uh, acknowledge here chat gpt is one of them <laughs> so, <laughs> published paper <laughs> so. yeah but again it's hard to uh, make sure that people uh, adhere to the guidelines it's uh, it'll be a difficult task but i hope yeah let's all yeah, look, I, I, I sympathize with teachers out there because it, you know, the to formulate an argument um, and write a good essay, that's that takes a lot of practice and it's really it sharpens your thinking how you 
um, cohesively put down your sentences so that they actually make sense. Um, your punctuation, all those things are important. So it's, it's, it's actually, you know, in a way you shooting yourself in the foot by relying on something else to do this thinking for you, because in the end, it's only to go into, you know, strengthen your thinking and how you can put forward your arguments and, um, you know, a well, a well thought out argument, written argument, geez, that's very powerful because that means you've been able to think this. And then, of course, if you can speak and you can relay your message that, that you're trying to say even better. So, um, yeah, I do feel for the teachers. I don't know that banning it per se is the right thing to do. You know, like it's very hard to, I don't know. Look, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to be making those decisions, but I think it's quite tough. You're very right, Nikki. I actually remember a, a mail that I got from the Deakins Vice Chancellor. Uh, so I think Deakins policy is that uh, you acknowledge where exactly you've used ChatGPT in your uh, document. And that can be probably a good way to make sure that your critical thinking is not uh, hampered by the use of this tool. Uh, but again, like you said, it's difficult because the students are not going to admit it. It's not. <laughs> we need to have some mechanism that uh, looks at that. And I'm, you know what? I'm confident and sure that it's actually going to be developed and applied. As you said, I think one of the original people that worked on the on the app um, actually shortly after that released something that you can go and you can apply it to um, any work that actually says, well, um, it's had artificial help here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So, just uh, quickly, a mentor. Do you have one? Um, do you think it's important to have one? Oh, I think it's definitely important to have mentors, not just a mentor. <laughs> uh, academically, I consider my current advisor, Dr. Sunil, and my master's advisor, Dr. Srijit, as my mentors. Uh, but other than that, uh, I have this whole support group of friends that I rely on for any decision. Uh, and based on the decision, I approach a different friend. It's a, like a different code for a different friend. And then I always turn to my parents and my younger sister. She's five years younger to me, but she has <laughs> a lot of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So I I try to surround myself with people and I actually learn a lot from them. Uh, so it's just not a single mentor. It's important to have a multiple set of mentors is what I believe. And it doesn't matter if they're older or younger or more experienced or less experienced. You can learn from all of them. I love your um, your openness to it. You know, as you say, people have different experiences. They don't necessarily need to be older than you to uh, guide you along the way. Any words of advice yeah. for our audience uh, thinking of um, putting, throwing their hat in the ring for the women in AI 2023? Oh, <laughs> nice. I, I, I actually wish them all the best. And uh, I think uh, some of them might, it's like, it's easy to feel like, you know, okay, do I deserve this? Uh, are there better people? uh should i apply such questions always come up all the time uh but uh what are you going to lose there's nothing to lose uh and it's going to be a chance for you to basically look back through the time 
for a while and see how far you've come from you know maybe a year ago or two years ago how far you've reached your goal and it can be a good time for introspection and uh, it's uh it's going to be uh, a really helpful uh, thing to do yeah i couldn't agree with you more you know i spoke to a lot of women last year that were winners and they all said um the application process really highlighted to them where they were doing well areas that they needed to improve on um and it was yes extremely helpful doing that so um and potentially ragda you can also throw your hat in the ring <laughs> yeah. oh. come now come now you can't just you can't just give the message out to the people there you one of them so. you've got me you've got me <laughs> sorry It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, where can the audience reach you if they'd like to uh, continue talking with you? Okay, so my LinkedIn profile is open to all, and also I think you can share my email ID as well. Okay, I'll put so that in the yeah, I'll put that yeah. in the show notes. So um, to our audience, listen, um, LinkedIn is first stop, and secondly, I'll put uh, Ragda's email in the um, show notes for you to have a look at. I so appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and I wish you the absolute best for your studies in Australia and um I'm sure you're just going to do extremely well. Thank you so much Nikki. It was amazing talking to you. I had a really good time. Thank you so much. And to our audience out there, I hope you have a wonderful day where you are. Thanks for joining us and I'll speak to you next week again. Mm-hmm.